Hello, and welcome to the Atheist Experience. Today is Sunday, August 19th, 2018. I'm your host, Tracy Harris. And with me today is co-host John Iacoletti. Hello. Hello, John. The Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to promoting separation of church and state and positive atheist culture. I want to invite everyone to come out and join us for dinner after the show at the ACA studio at the Free Thought Library. And tonight we're going to have something special. So I was asked to go ahead and read this announcement that we are, uh, ACA is starting a pasta bar that we're going to be opening uh, called the Flying Spaghetti Monster Pasta Bar. And it's going to happen. Um, it's going to begin this coming Sunday at the Hope Farmers Market. We'll be serving spaghetti with your choice of toppings. You get to create your pasta the way you want it. Don't forget to come and try the left ball of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, which is a pound, let's see, one pound pork and beef meatball served with your choice of sauce and Parmesan. Opening day will consist of a noodle cutting ceremony featuring our president, Jamie Boone, and pirate reverend of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, Matt Dillhoney, who will be blessing the pasta bar and its noodly goodness. The Farmer's Market is located at 412 Kamal Street in East Austin and runs from 11 to 3 p.m. Come join us for before show lunch and bring everyone you know and have them bring everyone they know. So everybody is welcome. They are going to have vegetarian and vegan options as well. So that's accommodated. And if you are in the area, come down today and participate in our test run for the after show dinner, which is going to happen here. So we're going to have pasta bar tonight. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we hope to see everybody here and at the farmer's market on uh, this coming Sunday. Also, uh, kind of good news and bad news. The Bat Cruise has sold out. So if you were going to buy your tickets uh, for the September 22nd back cruise, you're out of luck if you haven't bought your tickets yet. Yeah. I warned you. I said, get them early this year. We're going to expect to sell out. And it did. more and more popular every year. Yeah. And this, uh, so you can still come see the lectures. Right. There's, there's going to be the lecture in the afternoon. There's going to be, uh, I understand, a magic show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been officially announced yet. But, uh, I know normally, too, we have the speaker come and do the show on Sunday. Do we know if Mandis is booked for the show? I assume. Uh, that I don't know. I assume okay. so. All right. might be. Well, I might have to look that up. And so, Yes, come to the other events. But if you don't have a back cruise reservation yet, then you'll have to wait till next year. Exactly. That just blows my mind. Yeah. And then let's see, you had a couple of announcements. Well, one of them was the pasta bar, so I didn't. Oh. So we, we have that taken care of. The other is that uh, the ACA has launched a Discord. And when I found out about that a few days ago, I said, awesome, a Discord. What's a Discord? But it's a, it's a cool chat that uh, gamers use a lot. And uh, if you're watching the chat room now on this video, somebody's going to put a link up to how to get to that. And we're going to have hosts pop in and talk to people and uh, it's a cool community from what I hear. I haven't actually participated yet, but I will. I'm sure they'll be rolling that out. They haven't already, right? They have. Yeah, it's already, it's, up. It's, it's, it's already up and yeah. going. So. Okay. And so we also have another announcement, but we've got somebody on the line that's going to be making that. So let me just go ahead and pull up um, what we've got here. We've got our 
own ACA volunteer on the line. That's Justin, and you're calling to announce a project uh, with the YouTube archives. Is that correct? Yes. So go ahead. Okay. Hey. Um, I uh, yeah. This is kind of just a public service announcement for a special project that I've been working on for a little while. Um, so it's basically um, in the YouTube descriptions from now on. We're going to have um, we're going to have we have the caller names of all the callers. What time? Uh, in the video, like throughout of the whole episode. So if you take, for instance, if you took the first call at five minutes into the episode, it'll say five minutes, and it'll say that person's name, where they're from, and what the topic that they called uh, called in to talk about is. That's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. How big of a project was that? That sounds really daunting. I would not want to be the person in charge of timestamp. Is (laughs) this going forward? This is an archive, right? What? Sorry? This affected the archive as well, not just the shows going forward. Is that right? Yeah. Well, originally, so this was a project, kind of a passion project of mine, because I started watching your show back in 2012. And like most people do, I kind of binge-watched a bunch of older episodes once I found out how cool the show was. And as I was watching through the episodes, I found myself going, like, uh, being at times just being like, what? I wonder how long this call is going to be is this like a 30 minute call or a five minute call or like what what are the topics that they're going to talk about today and i said man i wonder i wish somebody had just uh i wish there was a way that people just could take notes of all the callers and how long their calls are and so several years later i just decided hey why don't i just do it so (laughs) if not me who right if not now (laughs) so i do want to i do want to give special thanks to um mark uh mark vanderbrick and um Doug Dean, who uh, once I got in contact with them, they very graciously sent me um, a lot of information that they already had um, for the past few years. But I did go back. Um, I, originally, I wanted to do, I said, let me just do the whole show. I'll do all 20 years. And then after I did about one year, I realized how big of a project that yeah, was. Yeah, right. pretty huge. <laughs> and then I said, okay, so we're going to cut that down and not do the whole thing. So, But I did go back um, four years worth of the show. Wow. Um, so I decided basically to go back to the first episode that you guys did on your own from the Free Thought Library. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I thought that was a good place to start. So basically... Um, yeah, this is just kind of a public service announcement to everybody. If for any of those episodes, starting <laughs> starting with that episode from the Free Thought Library, all the way until now, and continuing, hopefully, as I continue to do it in the future, if you look in the YouTube description for any of the past episodes for the four years, the last four years, you'll see you'll see exactly <laughs> when each call starts, the caller's name their location info, and what they called to talk about. I just can't believe you did that. I mean, that is, it's so amazing, but so huge. And it just blows my mind that someone did it. But I'm sure that all over the place, people that watch the show are thanking you because that's like one of our signature letters that we get is, can you remember that call where somebody wanted to talk about sleep paralysis? And I think you hosted and you're going, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. So exactly. It, that's, they can find it a little oh, bit easier. Phenomenal. I mean, they still have to go through each episode and look at the descriptions, <laughs> but it'll be there. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. That's, 
That's amazing. An enormous undertaking. <laughs> well, yeah, thank no you problem. very much, Justin, and thanks for announcing it. And um, so if people have questions, can they maybe post uh, to the blog? Could you maybe monitor the blog for a couple of days and just see if anybody has questions about it? Or? Sure. Well, also, if anybody happens to have any per- questions about it, they can always email the show because I'm one oh. of the volunteers who does emails. So. Even more perfect. Okay, so you'll That's see great. It. So if you're doing, if you're checking out the new archive thing and you have questions, comments, um, you know, you want to just say Justin's awesome for doing this, you know where to email. Just send it to the show email address and, and Justin will get that. You know, I would maybe put, hey, Justin, regarding, you know. Yeah. And since we have Justin on the line, I want to thank you, too, for the work you're doing and responding to the emails because we get hundreds and hundreds of emails, as you might imagine, and a lot of people just went unanswered. We just, you know, I I try to at least skim the emails, but there's there's so many that we can't hope to respond to them all. Well, Justin and and a team of other people have have been responding as well as they can to all of them. So you'll at least get some response back that that your yeah. email was received and and some information, general information, yeah. and and we really appreciate that. We don't want anyone yeah. kind of just left hanging like that. So and. You know, honestly, unless it specifically concerns something that a host has said, uh, I think that it's very fair for people working on the show to go ahead and respond. I mean, we're all atheists. We're all ACA volunteers. We all work here. We all understand the topics. And um, so please, you know, I I hope nobody feels bad if they don't hear back from like a host because really it should, you know, any of these people are fantastic, hardworking, dedicated, knowledgeable people. And I hope that everybody understands that. So once again, we're going to say thanks to Justin. And then I guess we're going to start proceeding with the show. Okay. Thank you, Justin. Thanks a lot. Have a great show, guys. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So people may remember that a couple of shows back when I was hosting, we got, and, and I do identify the show um, at the blog and possibly the call is marked now. Thanks to <laughs> Justin. Is. So we had a caller, Alex from Hawaii, who had a method to see Jesus and the method never failed. And by the end of the call, uh, he told me that if I followed everything he had described in the call, I would see Jesus. And so my understanding is that everything required was in that call. So if somebody is interested in in taking the Alex from Hawaii challenge and doing this themselves, you can go and listen to that call. You can hear what the protocols are and you can test it for yourself. Just heads up. It's going to be a week of kind of an aesthetic existence where you're not going to be using your phone. You're not going to be having sex. You're not going to be online. So there was some rigorous protocols to it. And I went ahead and set up... Um, I reached out to a, a, a large community of atheists that I know and asked if anybody was willing to do it. I described what was described in the call. I went back and listened to the call again. I put down all the do's and don'ts and said, is anybody up for this? And a few people said they would be up for it. They would be happy to give it a shot. So they went ahead and did this. I went ahead and set up a survey for them afterwards, just kind of getting their feedback on you know, what the experience was like and what they did or didn't do. And so uh, just as a brief uh, description of the intro to the survey, I put each, sub- each survey subject was asked to follow prescribed protocols as part of this manifestation test. The purpose of these questions is to determine whether protocol requirements were successfully met. Instructions provided to the subjects were as follows. State, quote, Jesus Christ, if you're real, come show me that you're real, unquote. 
Number two, abstain, again, for entertainment purposes, not barring you from work or necessary interactions. And uh, Alex did make that clear during the call that you could uh, do these things if it's required for your work. So from the internet, TV, movies, music, drinking, alcohol, taking drugs, smoking, sex, masturbation in any form, uh, any form of sexual pleasure for a period of seven days. And he not only said that you weren't required to fast, but discouraged you from doing so. And said that um, if you did this, you would see Jesus. And he described some of his experience. And so I put in some questions that asked people about whether or not they had any of these experiences themselves. And I wanted to go ahead and just talk to some of these people about uh, about how their week went. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and start with Jason in Missouri. And Jason, you were my subject too. Are you on the line? Yeah, how's it going, Tracy? And John? Hey, hey, good. Jason. Good. So you are you were respondent number two on my survey, and mm-hmm. let's see. So when I roll down, we've got your questions and answers here. You you seem to have. Um, now, are you the one that had some difficulty with internet? Um, well, I uh, during the week I did a lot of sort of really mundane things, so I actually. Uh, set up a VPN on my computer. And so I wanted to hit some websites and see how the connection works. So I did go to like YouTube and stuff, but I didn't, okay. I was really only there to see how well you were testing was. equipment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you weren't running around like entertaining yourself, um, distracting no. yourself. Okay. Uh, was that your, was that as far as you're aware, the only infraction or was that even, I mean, I don't call that infraction if you were testing equipment. <laughs> But it sounds like right. work. Well, yeah. it's funny because you're, you know, you're kind of uh, watching yourself really close to see <laughs> if you do any of these things. I was doing a, a one thing at work, and I just happened to put on some music on my phone, and then after about two songs, I was like, "Oh, I'm not supposed to listen to music this week." Oh, <laughs> so, okay. So yeah, there was there was that. Um, okay. But uh, other than that, I don't think I have anything else to confess. Uh, all right, all right, um, and I, and I'm gonna say that I'm pretty sure Alex would consider that a disqualifier. So I'm just gonna you know right throw that down. Um, but let's see. Otherwise, um, let's talk a little bit about. You, you said you. If I asked, I asked about strong emotional feedback, and you said that you felt happiness when it was over. Uh, well, I mean. Uh, you know, when you're not distracting yourself, <laughs> it just feel kind of, I don't know, a little clearer, I guess, about things. So I felt a little bit more more focused, I suppose, on the things I wanted to do that I wasn't distracting myself from. Okay. And at the end of it, in what ways, if any, has this exercise altered your view of God? Um, you said that you were still an atheist. Nothing happened. And you asked Jesus and Yahweh to save you several times each day. You changed your phone and tablet backgrounds to pictures of Jesus. You read the Bible. You listened to the Bible audiobook. Um, and you got no Jesus, no God, no mystical, spiritual, supernatural, religious experience whatsoever. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I uh, sometimes in the car I'll tune into religious programming just for entertainment purposes, basically. Okay. And uh, so I'm pretty familiar with a lot of. Christian doctrine and things, and uh, and nothing remotely supernatural happened at all. Nothing extraordinary, 
nothing actually particularly interesting. <laughs> yeah, I had several questions and you were just down the line. No, 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 no. Like nothing, none of this, none of that. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts on the idea of uh, the test not working and the potential that it could have failed due to accidentally listening to a couple songs? Um, yeah, I don't think that, you know, I mean, it's hard to say. I didn't, it didn't really affect my overall mood or anything as far as, you know, accidentally dripping into a couple of things. Okay. I, you know, I don't think, uh, it didn't really seem to alter my, the week. I mean, the day before and the day after and the day that I listened to the music, I mean, I just, they all seem to be about the same. So. Okay. I can just imagine Jesus sitting there saying, damn, if you just hadn't listened to those couple of songs. I, he was he was right there about to tap on my shoulder and then he's like, Oh there's that music. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um but you did you did go through with the rest of it for the seven day streak, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on the experience? Um No, not really. <laughs> I have to say it was I was uh you know, a couple of times I thought I I wonder what kind of experience I'd have to have in order for me to even consider something having been supernatural or consider a, an explanation okay. that was outside the bounds of normal experience. And I was kind of thinking maybe something might happen because uh-huh. of this. he was so confident about the challenge, you know, but, uh, no, just pretty mundane week for me. So what you're saying is that had you had like a, a sort of hallucinatory experience or some sort of dream or something, you would probably still just be in, well, that was an interesting experience territory. Right, and, and you know, I've I've watched a bunch of the shows, so I've heard people call in who have, you know, um, hallucinations or things, and then they they either they seek out natural explanations and eventually find them. Um, so, you know, if I felt compelled to, to definitively explain a, a strange experience like that, I would try to seek out a natural explanation first, and I would assume that there would be one before I would accept a supernatural one. I would think. Yeah, and right now I'm unaware of any explanations that are supernatural explanations, right? It, usually it's just this happened and it was magical and there is no explanation and that's the quote supernatural explanation. There's never really an explanation in it. It's like a supernatural cause with no explanation as to how it functions. Yeah. Just, right. a, just an assumption that it must have been supernatural <laughs> if I can't figure it out. Okay. Yeah, and nothing even set me on that path. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for your feedback. I appreciate you taking the time to call in. I especially appreciate your your week long sacrifice. And um, thanks for the feedback. Appreciate it. All right. No problem. Okay. Bye bye. All right. And so next up, what we've got here, I'm going to go to Josh, who is on line five. And Josh, you also did the See Jesus Challenge, and you did it from Australia. Is that right? Uh, hi, Tracy and John. Yeah, yeah, I did it. Uh, okay. It was a long week. <laughs> oh. All right, so let's roll through. You were my subject three, and did you also have some issues with internet or not? I had two little indiscretions with social media, internet on Facebook, because I sent you one very short message. And I think I sent you back something that said, don't send me messages. <laughs> yeah, I basically, I just basically okay. sent you a very, like a sentence saying, God, I'm bored. <laughs> and then uh, with one day to go, 24 hours to go, I did a, a uh, status update on my atheist page, basically saying, you know, six days in, 24 hours to go, 
no sign of Jesus yet. Okay. You know, see you in twenty four hours. So, so you posted an update, but you didn't really interact. No, I just okay. posted an update, okay. and that was it. So yeah, that was my indiscretion on the internet. It was two thirty second messages. Okay. And I will say that, you know, my interpretation of the call uh, that happened with Alex was that um, meditative uh, distractions were acceptable because he had he had noted that he read like while he was doing his he had done some reading. And so what I told the, the folks who took the test was you can engage in activities that are meditative in nature, but not entertaining or distracting in nature. It should be something that helps you focus, not something that um, – hinders your ability to focus actually i yeah. said that you were my uh respondent three but you weren't you were respondent number one actually sorry about that and oh, okay so, um you were the first one that gave me feedback and here's because i started to read down i was like this is not his responses um you said you you didn't fast but interestingly you abstained from any food you didn't prepare yourself in order to avoid going to restaurants and convenience stores and you didn't do any TV dinners or anything like that. And you even gave up, I guess you're, I'm assuming caffeine because you say soda, right? Oh, no, no, that wasn't me. Oh. I um, basically, basically my week was I, uh, I worked seven nights in a row. So I said, well, I'll just do the seven day challenge over my week at work. So that made it a bit easier. Um, basically, I slept, work, work, uh, went to work during the night, slept during the day, and if I was awake, uh, I was reading the Bible, uh, didn't watch TV, didn't listen to music, didn't really t- interact with my kids or my wife. Okay. Um, no, I bet they love that. I thought, well, to do that, I'd have to have um, come and watch TV or something. So I basically was a hermit for the for the seven days. Okay. Um, I downloaded the audio book of the Bible, which was Oh, you're the one that did the audio. To. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I downloaded it because I uh, usually listen to podcasts. So I, uh, on the way to work and home, so I listened to the Bible audio book instead. Okay. Um, and I read the Bible, New Testament, uh, if I was awake. Um, that was pretty much my whole week. <laughs> Okay. All right. And so I would, um, I would, I think I would put the the quote indiscretion in in a sort of question mark category there because while you did post some things, kind of like they were they were things related to what you were going through. So kind of a here's what I'm thinking, here's the experience I'm having, and then you weren't really interactive right. um, beyond that. So it was kind of almost like a little diary entry. Yeah. Um, what else did I do? Oh, I, I, yeah. As I said in the in the comments, I changed my uh, phone and tablet screensavers to Jesus. Okay. Um, and for the affirmation thing, you know, uh, you know, reveal yourself, Jesus. Okay. I did that uh, every morning when I came home from work at seven o'clock. I'd, I'd do it, and when I got up at night to get ready for work, I'd uh, eight thirty. I did it as well. So I was doing it twice a day. Okay. And then randomly during the day and, and sort of towards the end of the week, my wife and kids were always asking me if they saw me, oh, have you found Jesus yet? So I'd say the affirmation again and, uh, yeah, no Jesus, unfortunately, still an atheist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I, I must have confused the um, submissions for the surveys. I think I confused you and Jason. 
uh, and I was reading off of yours previously, and uh, <laughs> Jason didn't say, that's not that's me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's still delirious from the week of no social media. All right. Well, I mean, did you have any other thoughts about it, about um, – you know, the idea, I think you're the one that expressed some thoughts about the potential of problems with uh, picking and choosing, uh, you know, who gets saved based on Internet use or things like that. Oh, I just, uh, oh, I don't know. It's nothing happened. Nothing happened. That Alex guy reckons he's got a 100% success rate. Well, I'm sorry, dude. If if anyone was going to get changed, you know, I'm a lifelong 45-year atheist. I'm open to it. I took the whole week. I did everything I could to follow the rules and nothing. I had no experiences. And, look, if, if those two messages on Facebook, uh, that message to you and that status update just saying, you know, I'm on on board and sees in 23 hours or whatever. If those two messages is what keeps me out of heaven and gives me eternal torture, then Jesus is an asshole. That's all <laughs> I got to say. Yeah, I I think that that's a valid perspective. Pretty much. So, like, <laughs> what else do you want me to do, Jesus? Because well, I appreciate you giving up your week, and I appreciate you um, taking the time to call up and talk about your experience a little bit. And uh, That's all right. Glad to do it. Thanks very much to Joshua in Australia. And thank your family, oh, thank yes, your thank family, your family for family. us as well. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Joshua. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. All right. That's... And now I'm, I think I'm saving potentially the best for last. This is the one who um, – if I, you know, read the survey correctly and and after my interview with her, like talking to her a little bit about our experience, I think that she probably performed the most, you know, staunchly perfect week. Okay. So we're going to go now to – this is Tracy in New York. Hey. Hey. Hey, and thank you so much for giving up your week, and thank you for taking the oh, time to call in today. It's my pleasure. All right. I actually hate social media, so that was why I even took it on in the first place. Let's Which made it really awesome, because I figured there's got to be some people that would fall in that basket. Of course, it was rough that I was looking for them on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, so you did yours, and I'm pretty sure now that I've got the right person. So you abstained from everything that was on the list. Uh, yep, pretty much. Pretty much? I did, so I work in social media. Right, and so, work is okay. Uh, occasionally I had to check my messages, but I wasn't doing anything cause, because I got the gist of what he was wanting out sure. of us. And it, I felt it would be disingenuous to do things that engaged in my ego, which right. is like what happens when we're constantly checking our, who's like this? So I, I did do a couple things on my work profiles, sure. which are not related to me. And that's the extent of what I did on social media. And but I, think- I did... Pretty much the first 24 hours was just trying to break that compulsion of hitting the app badges on my phone. That's an so interesting thing in really, itself. You know what I mean? The the whole experience of just de- disconnecting. And he specifically yeah, and I allowed didn't realize work. I was touching them. 
Um, I moved the app badges to a different page, and I just uh. accidentally would hit other things like PayPal over and over again. So uh, that's how I stopped myself from checking accidentally. That's like awesome. A zombie brain. No, that's that's really interesting. It makes me wonder. Now I almost want to do it just just to see how I do without the you know the experience of the uh, social media. Yeah, frightening. All right, so you did uh, you did some sleeping, you did some meditative functions, you you hiked, mm-hmm. um, you you meditated like uh, looking at art, and you you know did some cleaning, which um, that type of work and chores has always been put forward as a way to kind of you know as a as a purity and a purifying thing. So um, yeah. you did some creative endeavors that are not about entertainment, but more. I I mean I've I've also in the past, like in college and stuff, I did a lot of art in the studio art program. And so I understand how that is really, really helps your head kind of, it gives you clarity, clears your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do photographer. I do photography. I do like street photography. I also go hiking and I do nature photography and those like getting involved in something like that really distracts me from what's going on in my life. So I think that was kind of what he wanted us to do to get to that point where we're not thinking about ourselves. Right. So when I'm in the photography zone or the drawing zone or the going to the museum area of my brain, um, I'm not thinking about myself. So that's that's why I did all those things. Okay. And I didn't work at all other than occasionally checking. You know, I don't have a job that I go to. So I really was alone pretty much for the entire week. Yeah. You mentioned that you do freelance. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so yeah. according to this, you had no dreams or um, involving gods. You had no... No. Episodes of paralysis. You had no hallucinations and, let's see, heightened levels of emotions. You said it was uh, it caused a little bit of anxiety regarding being disconnected so severely. Well, yeah, that was that was me trying to check those buttons. And it was right. really just me going, oh, my God, I just hit that badge again. I have to get it off my phone. So that was giving me anxiety just because I was realizing how attached I am to social media. Okay. And let's see, no healing episodes. And then let's see, we asked, did it alter your view of God? You said, I still do not believe, which is one of the options. You said that applies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, you've always been a non-believer. And yeah. let's see, so you've never really been drawn to religion and you don't claim it. Any- well, I've, I've always been fascinated by religion and I've okay. always this is why I wanted another reason I wanted to do this challenge. And, and the reason I wanted to talk on air about it was because I want to like preemptively swat at this challenger's special pleading to say that I did something wrong or that I'm not really open to this experience because I have been my entire life. My parents are, I call them apatheists. They're, they're atheists basically, but um, they don't really care about religion. So I didn't learn about it, but I was always curious about it. And I asked to be baptized when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I've gone to all these different religious services, different Christian churches just in the last few years. You know, I've gone to Buddhism temples and Hindu temples, and the, I've visited the Hare Krishnas and the Scientologists. I've done all of these things and I meditate regularly. And sometimes I take hallucinogenic drugs, which happen to duplicate the same thing in your brain that religious experiences do, but I've never been able to actually see God. And so I I felt like this is unfair. Mm -hmm. I've done everything I can. And I've begged God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And he's not done that to me. So, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of people who are atheists and y'all understand where I'm coming from on this. And I don't think, I don't think any of this is real, but, um, you know, I've given it every chance 
Well, I can I can read from your your final response on the survey. You said I've been open my whole life, and nothing has given me even the softest tap on the shoulder. If there were something out there, I find it very unfair that I've been as open minded and quiet as I have. But it denies me guidance to its truth. Yeah, it's like I'm just missing that hardware, apparently. <laughs> Or it's just not real. <laughs> There's <laughs> another possibility, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right. And Alex pretty much guaranteed that if you followed this process, right, that it would work. He didn't say you yeah. had to be, you know, sincere or... Uh, right, you didn't have to be a believer you for didn't have this to, to Yeah, work. already believe Correct. in it before you we can believe in it. We did clarify that on the call, yeah. Um, so And you followed the procedure and were open to the whatever happened. Thing- the only thing that I think I'm missing is just that pre-established faith, and, and especially in a specific God, because it wasn't just, hey, God, show yourself to me, but it was, Jesus Christ, I believe in you, please show yourself to me. So I'm just missing that. Apparently, you have to have the faith before he'll show himself to you, which is a catch-22. I just, I can't have something until it's been proven to me. Um, I'm, I'm just stuck here without it. Yeah. I mean, according to Alex, though, because we did go through that, because there was a point in the call where I interpreted him to be saying that uh, you had to believe before you did the test, which, of course, I thought was, well, that's very biased. And he corrected me and said, no, that was not what he was saying. So we, that did that question did come up, and Alex did clarify that this should work for nonbelievers mm-hmm. as well, that that was not a disqualifier. So I appreciate yeah, you well, calling. Do you have any other thoughts on it? Um, no. Well, see, I did, um, I did make that video saying, hey, I would do this. I'm going to keep like a video the diary along the way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I decided not to do it because it felt, again, it felt like it was disingenuous to the, the test. Wow. I felt like in doing that, I was thinking, in, I was thinking about myself and I was thinking about an audience listening to me. So I just seemed too much like I was getting wrapped up in my ego again. So I decided not to do that. And I really didn't want to even mess with my phone or social media in any way. So I decided to abstain from that too, because it felt like it was kind of ruining the challenge to do that. Yeah, I really felt, I mean, and, and I, this is not to disparage Jason, Jason or Joshua, but I really felt that of, of the, the three that, that volunteered, that you seem to really throw yourself into it and take it, you know, more seriously, I guess, as a, I'm really going to do this and, and I'm not going to do it wrong. Uh, and that. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to do something to do it the right way. Yeah. You could do a video blog now that it's over and the test is completed <laughs> just to describe what it was like. I, I think that would be really interesting. It would. You could end with this phone I, call. <laughs> like, well, I did get, I got face, I got put in Facebook jail immediately after I came back for outing. A oh yeah. So, I saw that too. So. Um, and then I left. Um, now I'm out of town, so I'll get to it eventually. No, I, I thought it was very interesting. And, and I very much like as with Jason and Joshua, I appreciate so much your willingness to, to do this. So thanks for your time. Thanks for your week. Thanks for your willingness to discuss it. Uh, and I think we'll go ahead and let you go. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks Tracy. Tracy. Bye. This is, this is fascinating. I know it was the intent of the experiment, but the, the idea of that she brought up of how attached we are to social media and to checking things. And uh, just from that viewpoint alone, what, what, what's it like detaching from that and how much more stuff you get done, how many more things you've been putting off around the house, uh, how productive you are when you're not kind of immersing yourself in social media every, you know, 
And I, I, I just want to, you know, this is, and Tracy's not on the phone right now, and I don't want to misrepresent anything, but but I, I did have an opportunity to meet her in person once. And um, my impression was that she is kind of a very, um, like, I'm introverted. Well, I consider myself introverted. And I, you know, she was far more like, like me, on you know, introversion on steroids. It was, um, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that she's not, uh, she's, she's assertive. I mean, she's not unassertive, and then I hope people don't misunderstand what introversion means. It's just that she's very, very okay being isolated. She doesn't really need that social interaction that much. She likes a lot of you know alone time, and so that's I think what she described slightly was this is you know this is why she thought she might be a good candidate for the test because this is kind of already her nature. Right. So that was I don't know that was just kind of a an interesting little little test I guess just. Just kind of running it and seeing what would happen. Yeah, scientific method doing doing an experiment to see what the results are. All right. So let's go to Alan in Montreal, Canada. Hi, Alan. You're calling about abusing statistics in theistic arguments. Yeah. Uh, can you guys hear me well? Yeah. Yep. There's a little bit of weird mechanical sort of sound, but otherwise it's okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the abuse statistics that I've seen in theistic arguments is really uh, related to like the fine-tuning arguments of sorts. Okay. Uh, often you'll hear theists uh, claim stuff like, uh, you know, those huge numbers, like it, there's a one in a trillion, 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 whatever chance of uh, getting the gravity right or whichever uh, stat they want to choose. Right. And the problem with the way they're looking at it is that just because the the uh, the window is small, it doesn't mean that the statistic is small. So, for example, um, if I roll uh, one dice, the chance of getting six is uh, one in six. But if I roll two dice, then the chance of getting six is much higher. So. Uh, when you just use statistics, uh, like just at face value and say like, oh, it's a small window, therefore it's a small probability, you're making a problem, uh, you're, you're, you're creating like this false conc- uh, implication that, that the, the, uh, the probability of getting a thing is the same as the, uh, the representation of the thing. And uh, it's also uh, other statistical abuses that they use is sometimes just because there's a small chance, it means that uh, the the thing that has a higher chance of getting the same result is the correct one. But that's not true because um, let's say a million lottery players uh, try to play the lottery and one person wins. Well, you could say that the, the lottery was rigged but that's not necessarily the case because you also have a lot of uh, people trying the, the lottery. So you would have to look at what the chances of being rigged are and not just the chances of somebody winning without it being rigged. Yeah, I don't know if this helps, but I always think of it in terms of what if you had a giant jar that could hold a million, million dice, right? And you throw those dice out of that jar onto a giant table. And however those dice land, the odds are astronomical. That, that you they would get land that, that, way. that particular combination. Right. Yeah. Astronomical. And yet who would argue that that's evidence of design? And if you put them back in the jar and you roll them again and you get a different configuration, 
the odds are exactly the same astronomical odds. And it's the same no matter what you roll. And uh, the, the analogy I like to use is that um, not only do you, do you not know the, uh, the statistical representation of it, you also, uh, the problem with it is that you don't know. Uh, so let's say you have a, a three dice, right? That come out and you have uh, six, six, and six, right? And, but you don't know what was in the bag in the first place. So you, you can't tell at all what the chances of getting six, six, and six are because that information is not available to you. I'm not sure I'm following. Well, um, the thesis will usually look at what, what we've got, right? Which is a, uh, a universe that's conducive to life, for example, right? Sure. Right. But they'll infer from that that the chances uh, were low without, uh, without it being rigged. But because they're not privy to the information of what's in the bag, what, what happened before... Right, we have a sample size of one. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and also, I would say that the universe... I mean, I agreed to it, I think, a little too, too quickly. I don't think the universe is conducive to life. I think it's kind of... Um, it, it, people have talked about you know, the idea of the universe being designed, and one of my notes is that if something is designed to do a thing, it's kind of ridiculous that the thing that it does is like a minor aspect of it, Right. If you want something that cleans your floor and yet it does like a billion other, you know, it's like if I saw something that that managed to, I guess, get the floor clean, but it it basically did tons of other things a lot more. I don't think I'd assume that it's a floor cleaner. Yeah. Right. I mean, if it may be that this thing as a as a sideline, the floor gets cleaned by whatever else it's doing. But if it's doing other things like vastly more. I would tend to, if I was going to look at whether or not I thought this thing was built or created for some reason, I would be looking at what does it do mostly, not what does it do here and there, like as a weird minor blip. Yeah, as far as we know, the universe is mostly empty space. So how can you say it was designed for life just because we happen yeah. to be here looking at it? Um, but you say, you know, gravity was is just the right spot for us. Well, that's because we're here looking at it. If it was some other slightly different value, then another life form might be looking up at it and saying the same thing. This was designed for us. Well, I've heard people actually say that, you know, the, the Earth's distance from the sun is like some kind of sweet spot. And it's interesting to me because the Earth doesn't orbit in a perfect circle. So you have this <laughs> this reality where the Earth goes off, you know, further and further, like further and shorter, like closer and further, I guess, from the sun in its own orbit. And yet we don't die every <laughs> every time it goes like further. I don't know. But, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's like um, an appeal to statistics that are just it's just kind of a, a an irrelevant set of points and sometimes even. Um, claiming things that really can't be claimed, like knowledge that we don't have would be required to make it significant. And it's not really even significant if it's um, rare because even rare events occur. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of those things that just uh, that bothers me cra like crazy when these these statistics are brought up because it's, it's not how statistics work. You're abusing probabilities and it's just not how things work. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you had, if you had, like, like for example, if we had those million dice, right? And before I rolled them, 
John was able to map out where they would land, and he was correct every time I did it, even though I wasn't aware that John was doing this, but other people were. Like if we ran a test where he could accurately predict where all those dice would land, and even if we numbered the dice so that you were predicting like this one. And if John could predict that every single time correctly, um, I would say that we've got something to actually investigate there, right? Because now we have evidence that there's something going on that allows predictability. Yeah, it's not just random. Right. Because if I just throw those dice and nobody has predicted it, then the odds are astronomical the way they're going to land. And yet every time I roll it, it's still the same astronomical odds no matter what the result. So yeah, I mean, you have to have a – there's got to be some evidence for the idea that it's supposed to be this, not just that it is this. And that's what's lacking. Yeah, I got to agree with you. And it's just that's one of the th things that bothers me the most. And I, uh, thank you, uh, Tracy. Thank you, uh, John. Thank you. Appreciate your call. All right. And now we're going to go to Ryan in Massachusetts. Uh, hey, Ryan, you're calling because you want to know why truth is important? Um, no, not, not quite. Um, so uh, let me just... Also, I want to say this is super exciting. Thanks for having me on. You guys are doing great. Thanks, sure. Ryan. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, but I, I wanted to start off with a little anecdote that prompted this question. Okay. So um, I'm I debate people all the time um, on the internet, and um, while I'm doing that, it's often about religion and. Uh, usually, well, not not quite usually, but sometimes a third party will just randomly join in and say, "Why do you have to debate this?" Um, uh, what what else is it? Why why do you have to debate this? Why can't you just let them believe what they believe as long as they're not hurting anybody? And my answer to that would be, truth is important and everybody should believe it. But I can't quite give a reason why. It just feels intuitive. I was, well, I wanted there, to ask. Well, there's a reason it feels intuitive. And there's a reason that people want to know what is actually going on around them and not to be um, unaware of the things that are going. Not only is truth important, but the amount of truth that you have is important, right? So if you go to buy my house, would you prefer that we have it inspected before you make me an offer or not? I mean, before you uh, buy it, yeah, I guess yeah. you make the offer before you get the inspection. But let's say you're going to buy my house. Are you are you willing to let that sale go through without an inspection? Uh, no, no, not at all. Why not? Um, so yeah, the the uh, the reason I the reason I called in is because I, I basically want something I can say right. to convince people who say you that can basically say. give them any example where it would matter if you know something if you're crossing a street would you want to have accurate information about whether a car is coming or would you rather just close your eyes and run across the intersection is it does it matter <laughs> to you if a car is actually coming or not and the fact uh, is right. yeah, of course it does right and of course you want that information when you buy a house without an inspection you're taking a gigantic risk there could you could be dumping tons of money into that thing so in addition to putting your life at risk by saying, well, I don't care if there's really cars coming when I cross the street, it's fine with me if I just delusionally believe the street is clear and step out into heavy traffic. That's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for, you know, when somebody says, why do you care about the truth or why do you, why does it matter? 
it matters because it's a lot of times it's life and death. Do, do, do you want to know the truth if you get a, a scan for cancer? Would you rather that that scan come back and, and honestly tell you that you have it so that you can enter treatment? Or would you rather that it comes back and tells you that you don't have it and then you don't get treatment and you do have it and the scan is wrong? You know, you, the, the truth the truth matters all the time. Well, I, when I say all the time, what I'm saying is that gen- broadly and generally, it most often matters. There are times yeah. when something doesn't matter. but um, well, you know. I, And I would acknowledge that to some people, maybe they don't care that what they believe is true. Um, you know, I would say for me, I do care for, for those reasons that I, I want to believe things that are true and not believe things that are false. If this other person, that's not important to them, then, you know, knock well, yourself out. Yeah, but the other problem is that let's say that I don't care about myself. Do I care about my children? Yeah. Do I want the truth about the school I'm going to send them to? Do I want the truth about the pediatrician that I'm using? If, if that person is like a child molester, do I want to know this? You know, do I, for, for other people, even if I don't care about myself, do I care about anyone else enough to, you know, want to be able to, to, uh, be making decisions based on accurate information and be as fully informed as possible and as accurately informed as possible? There are, we, we rely on good information in so many ways in everything that we do all the time. And if we didn't have that, I don't think we would survive very long as individuals or as a species. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second and say, uh, oh, but in those circumstances, it really does make an impact. But for religion, it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your daily life. Uh, so what, I'm sure somebody would say that to me well, in that context. They say what, what they do is they whittle, this, they whittle this down to like this weird concept that all religion is sort of liberal and innocuous and that all religion is supportive of justice and that all – and it's not, right? I mean there are some religions that are hideous and there are some that – that, and it goes from completely horrible – to mostly benign, right? And yeah, if you're on the mostly benign part of it, which is almost like when people talk about hitting their kids, right? You, you get into a conversation on a thread about people hitting their children. And by the time you're done, people are like, oh, I just meant that I like tap them on the shoulder to get their attention. That's what I'm calling a, a spanking. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> let's be honest, right? When you're saying that you're hitting them, you're, you're hitting them and you're trying to inflict, uh, you know, some sort of pain. It's a negative reactor. And, but when you get into those arguments, they just they lessen it and lessen it and lessen it to try to make it like the least of like possible thing. And this is what they do with the religious thing, right? Nobody wants to say, what about the guy who flew a plane into a building, right? They all want to talk about, well, but this church, you know, does a food pantry and they aren't anti-gay and they are. And sure, if somebody's in a church that's like socially benign, And, you know, about the only thing you can say is that if I'm willing to believe things that aren't true, then I can be influenced by things that aren't true. It just so happens that this person is influenced at this point by something that may be maybe socially helpful or may be socially benign. But the fact is, if they don't think well, if they don't reason well, if they can't differentiate truth from fiction and if they don't care about truth from fiction, it's much easier for someone to come in and sell them on a harsher truth. Or a harsher claim of, you know, a truth claim, even if it's not true. So a person who already believes in God, it's a much easier sell to try to convince them that their God wants them to do this thing that may move them a little closer to the, to the horrible, right? 
than somebody who already doesn't believe in the God. And that's not to say that there aren't secular reasons people do horrible things too. Please don't misunderstand. It's just that this conversation is regarding your conversations with religious people and why it doesn't matter. And I do think that if the particular thing that they're following um, is benign or socially helpful, they can in that moment kind of argue that if they're wrong, it's not doing harm. But I think that it's a it's still sketchy, right? It's like saying, well, I run across the street all the time blindfolded. And I've never been hit. <laughs> so I've always been successful. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, yeah. And what happens when – and I've heard these calls before. I've heard people say my mother was religious and she was always very good and she the religion that she was involved in was very good. But as she got older, she started to get in with this crowd with more conservative religion and now she's starting to hate gay people and she's starting to – and so there is that risk that even a person who is part of a really loving, you know, sort of – um, religion that's preaching equality and preaches tolerance, that that person can, for different reasons, fall into religions that are much less tolerant. It happens. Yeah, it's the mindset of, of you know, kowtowing to authority, unquestioned authority, and it, it, it makes you open. Yeah. To those kinds of things, even if you're not currently and doing course, anything it, harmful. And of course, it works the other way too. We, I've heard calls or you know, have, have people um, reach out to us who say that they had a situation where maybe a relative was involved with a religion that was very dangerous, like faith healing cults. And they were able to reach out to people who were engaged in religion that is not doing that, does not believe in faith healing, that does use doctors. And they were able to then find a way to sort of convince their religious relative to go and see a doctor and go and get help because they found someone that kind of speaks that religious language that could convince them God thinks it's okay. Sorry. God thinks it's okay to uh, go to a doctor. So it kind of works. You know, it's, it's a fluid thing. It doesn't always go in one direction. But, you know, yes, if, the, if their point is only that, you know, it's possible to believe something false and that it's not causing harm – that's correct. But it's really not possible to have an attitude, such a, a, a lax attitude about the truth and to have this concept that it doesn't matter if my beliefs are true as a general way of handling life and not put yourself at risk of being conned or somehow dragged into something that could do harm to you or other people. Um, yeah, that is exactly the kind of answer I was looking for. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add. So thanks a ton for having me on and uh, keep fighting the good fight. I All guess. right. Thank you for your call, Jacob. For, that was Ryan. Bye. Oh, I'm <laughs> thanks, sorry. Ryan. Ooh, well, I guess I gave away where we're going next. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention real quick that there's there's actually a I website. I did a bad thing. Oh, you dropped somebody who you shouldn't have? Because I thought we were on Jacob. Oh, this is my it. bad. I dropped Jacob. Oh, Jacob, Jacob call back. If you're, yeah, please call back. And that means then Sorry. I'm going to drop that one. We'll go ahead and put Ryan and I need to be more meticulous with my notes. Let me just mention there's there's actually a website because this What's the Harm comes up a lot. And there's I think it's whatstheharm.com that kind of goes through what you were saying and and says you know there is a, there is a harm it's not innoc it's not just innocuous to believe something and not care about whether it's true or not well there's the example right yeah. i i thought it was true that i had jacob on the line because he was <laughs> the next one up and i had ryan and i dropped jacob and this is what happens when you believe things that aren't true and i very much apologize to jacob so we'll go ahead then and go to Nick. And Nick wants to argue that abortion should be illegal. Hi, Nick. You're on with Tracy and John. Hi, Nick. Hey, how are you guys doing? 
Good. How are you? I'm doing great. What do you What do you got for us? Uh, well, just I think uh, abortion should be illegal. I think all humans have the right to life, and parents have a duty to uh, support those children until they're viable in someone else's hands. Until they're viable, and then what happens? Well, if they if they want to, like I guess, give up their parental guardianship, they can to like the state. But before then, I think. What if the child is What if the child is born not viable? What is their duty? Well, well, I mean, I guess all I'm trying to say is, if the parent can do some like, I guess they have a natural, ordinary duty to keep that child alive until they can get. Obviously, if they can't, they can't, but. Um, yeah, if they, I think they have like a duty to keep that child alive until they can give it to someone else. Okay, so you would say then that if John has a child and that child is born not viable and it needs tissue organ donation from John, that he should be legally compelled to donate? Uh, no, I think that would be an extraordinary thing. Why? Oh, because uh, John's organs are meant for him. Why wouldn't the the mother have the same why wouldn't the same apply to her? Isn't her womb an organ that she has the right well, to all her organs, her lungs, her yeah, heart, but all yeah. meant for her offspring. But what now? What's the difference? What about it? Uh, the womb's meant for the womb is meant for her offspring. But you're but you're saying that you don't care whether she consents or not, like her consent is irrelevant, that she should be forced to gestate um whether she wants to or not. Is that correct? I mean, I guess you could phrase it like that. I mean, could, could I give an analogy? Well, I, I mean, I think I understand what you're saying. I don't know if an analogy is necessary. I, I think I get what you're describing. I don't think I'm having trouble understanding you. Yeah, but it, would it be all right? Uh, I think <laughs> – go ahead. Wait, let me, let me ask before you do. Is this analogy going okay. to compare a woman to an object? Hmm. No, absolutely okay. not. It'll okay. actually – It'll actually include the same people I'm talking about. Okay. All right. That's cool. So let's say let's say that a woman is um uh, let's say she lives out in the country and she's pregnant and a storm hits and she can't get to the hospital and she's planning on going to like go get formula somewhere. She can't get that either. She gives birth. Do you think that woman has any sort of legal obligation to breastfeed her? newborn or do you think that that newborn she can just let that newborn starve because it doesn't have a right to her body yeah i think that once once you have um decided to have the child and you're having the child and you have the child that you have adopted parental uh responsibility once the, once the child is born she is the legal mother so yes she is obligated at that point so she would she would have to breast like her she would have to use her breast milk to Right. People, people that are parents, parents under law have a requirement to not starve their children. But I don't see how this is relevant to a pregnancy. Well, I think it's pretty relevant because it, it, to me it seems more similar to pregnancy than the organ donation. Well, no, because a person who's pregnant is not legally – doesn't have any legal parental obligations. We, we have legal parental oh, well, obligation once the person – once the, the child is born. Right. So I'm, I'm arguing that we should change that law. Does that make sense that, that we should give the unborn uh, legal rights as well to that 
parental obligation. So you're arguing that the state then should compel women to let somebody else use their body without their consent, that their consent is not required to use their bodies. Well, you just agreed to that in the breastfeeding example, didn't you? No. Wouldn't the state be compelling the woman to let that newborn use her body for breast milk? No, what you're they what the state compels her to do is to not starve her child. Right, but that by by doing that, it's telling her that she has to give that child her breast milk, which is part of her body. She's not starving the child. This isn't about this isn't about her donating her kidney. All right, you're saying that she should be compelled right. to make donation of her body to someone who requires it because they're non-viable. Um, whether she wants to or not, you would not make the father do this. You would just make the, the mother obligated. Right. It's, it's biology. I wouldn't say, like, you know, I guess you can blame it on mother nature, whatever you want to say. But just like in the breastfeeding example, okay, the so, father couldn't feed that baby. The mother has to. Right. But if the if if the if the father was there and the mother wasn't and they had no access to um, to her, he would have to feed the child as well. So we were talking about equality there, where both parents would be equally obligated. But what you're arguing is that we should obligate women to donate bo- their bodies and that the state should compel them to donate their bodies to to um, help somebody who's non-viable become viable. But if the child is born non-viable and we require a body part from the father or a donation, even, even a blood, you're saying even a pint of blood, this man should not be compelled to donate. But yet the mother has to donate her body Right, her whole body is going to be used. She's going to have a person inserted into her uterus. It's going to it's going to be you know there in her uterus, growing for almost a year. And you're saying that this should be something required of her that she has no consent to, and she does not have to agree to. And the state can force her to be used by another person, have her body violated in this way, put her life and health at risk, and that she should have no say in this whatsoever. But the minute that child is born, if it's still non-viable, the father has zero obligation. Well, you just agreed that you'd be willing to, even if the mother did not consent to breastfeeding that that child. It's not about consent to breastfeeding. It's about consent to not starve it. That's the part you're not getting. What I'm okay, but uh, but is that child viable without the mother's breast milk? Nobody's viable if they can't eat. That's the whole point. We're talking about the equity of a situation here. But what you're basically saying is that you should have to give your body to make something viable that's not, right? And that you're, you should be compelled to do that, but only if you have a uterus. If you have a penis, you should not be so compelled. But you're saying the same thing with breast milk. No, I'm not that. saying the same thing with breast milk, okay? There's neither parent can starve the child, neither parent. If they can feed that child, they need to feed that child. They are obligated because they are parents, right? But we don't mm-hmm. obligate people as legal Parents, they do not have parental obligations prior to the birth of the child. They are not required. The, the, the father, for example, is not required to uh, feed the child during pregnancy. Right. And so right. you there's this there's there's the idea that once the child is born, the biological parents, unless there's been other arrangements made, I know that we do have. But in general, the people that are the biological parents are usually considered to be parentally obligated. Right. So if the mother needs financial help and she goes for financial help, they'll tell her name the dad 
and she has to give up the name of the dad and then they'll go after the dad for that financial support because the state views these people as obligated once that child is born. Prior to the child's birth, nobody has this obligation. No one has it. Nobody disagrees that already born people have, have a legal right to life. I don't think anybody. Right. Well, I have that. issues with right to life. I, I have some issues <laughs> with that with phrase. Right to life. Okay. Um, but because I, I'm not sure that anybody has it to the extent that we're talking about. Right. Like n- nobody. I don't have a right to compel either of my parents to donate blood or tissue to me to save my life. And what you're basically saying is that if a child is born non-viable, the father should not be compelled to donate even in ways that are severely less risky than what you want to force a woman to do. Right or, or a person with a uterus. You want to take a person with a uterus and you want to make them put their life and health at risk to distort and and change their body in ways, you know, potentially um, the, the, the risks are much greater with a birth than with an abortion. And so what you're basically saying is that she should be forced to allow someone else to use her body without her consent for reasons because that's what you think. Okay, uh, so but you would agree that there's not an absolute right to bodily autonomy, like in the breastfeeding example. We are, in a way, taking that woman. You're confusing somewhere. not starving the child with how the child is fed. the The obligation okay, yeah, is not how you feed it. It doesn't matter how you feed it as long as you're feeding it. Okay, she's not compelled yeah, to a, breastfeed. It's a contrived example because you're artificially making that the only way to feed the baby, and then you're saying, "Well, we're making her do it in that case." Right. But in reality, what if she's not lactating? Do who do you, who gets arrested? No, no. I mean, things happen all the time. Where you know, I, I'm just all I'm trying to say is, in the same way, you know, uh, if I was trying to say a, a difference between an abortion and some, like a miscarriage, I don't think the woman should go to jail for a miscarriage. But an abortion, she's actively trying to remove that. Uh, I mean, essentially kill the child. But I guess if you want to consider it like... No, she's not trying to kill the child. She simply is saying that she does not consent to the gestation. You're saying that her consent right. about and how her body is used is irrelevant. The breastfeeding. Oh, my and God. And, and I'm saying I don't, I don't know why you don't understand this. It's not... A, she doesn't... Nobody's required to breastfeed. We're required to not starve our children. That is a whole well, different issue. In my analogy, you are telling her to breastfeed. I'm telling her not to starve the child, but you're confusing the idea of feeding but a you're baby. You you're you you're confusing the idea of feeding a baby with allowing someone to violate someone else's body, right? We're talking about using her blood, tissue, organs, her entire body for almost a year. And you're saying that a person should not have any consent to do that. A person who births a baby has consented to this. Do you not understand the difference? She has consented to not starve that child. The woman who is pregnant has not consented to anything. She's not even a parent yet. Well, I would consider a parent. I think you're I don't care how you would country. consider it. I'm saying that the law says that nobody okay, I'm saying has change the law. I'm saying change the law. The law doesn't. Okay, so then would you say that biological? So what is the obligation of biological? Uh, you know, people with a penis when they when they are involved in creating that person, are they now viable? So if the mother, let's say she has an accident, she needs blood and tissue, or she's going to lose the baby. Does do we reach out to the biological father and say you now need to donate to keep her alive in order to keep the baby alive because you have this obligation that requires your body and you have no right to not consent to this. Is that what you're saying? No, because no, because it, his no. body, none of his organs are meant for that mother 
or for that child. You just finished saying that she should be obligated, right, to donate her body to keep the child alive, whether she consents or not, because she should have the same parental obligations um, to feed that child or to make sure that it doesn't, you know, not let it die, basically, just like we would for a child who is at the hospital, right, that is that is birthed. But now I'm saying, well, then shouldn't the shouldn't the person who was you know, donated the sperm shouldn't that that person be equally obligated in that? Why aren't they a parent? Why aren't they obligated as a parent? Well, I guess all I'm trying to say is the mother at, at that point in pregnancy and both after pregnancy, in my analogy for breastfeeding, the only one that can keep that child viable is the mother. And I just, I'm having a hard time seeing how you're differentiating my analogy from pregnancy because they seem more similar. It seems like my analogy is better. No, because your analogy is, you're, you're, you're using an example where the woman has consented and you're using another example where she has not consented. No, I, I, all right, let's say she didn't consent. Let's say, let's just make, take, take this to extreme case. She got raped. And there's the storm was all nine months. She had plenty of. Food. How about we just keep food. this in the realm of reality instead of your wild hypotheticals? Why don't we just look at how the real situation works and talk about the real situation? Well, hypotheticals are useful to see if you're being morally. They're not useful when someone keeps one. trying to get away from the. And, and and to be fair, if somebody I'm didn't, if someone didn't consent to any of this, if they were coerced and compelled, I would not obligate them to anything. So breastfeeding included? Yes, correct. I would not obligate a person so who was forced to because birth baby, a child. Because that baby was uh, conceived out of rape, you think it's okay for that baby to starve? No, you you basically were saying now she's being kept in a situation where she's, like, held, right? She's held, forced to birth it, forced to be alone with it. It's going to starve if she doesn't breastfeed it. I'm saying how in the hell do you get to her consenting to be a parent from that? And if she didn't consent to be the parent, then how are you making her obligated? Well, I'm just saying parent, the parents have an obligation to their children. They consent to be parents. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you don't think consent is important or you don't understand it. There's a problem here because you don't seem to understand or care about consent or even under – you don't get why that's, that's relevant. Well, I, I guess my argument is whether like a – a child is conceived out of rape or or just conceived with consent, I'm, I'm not even arguing that fact because once you have that baby, does that mother, can't you just let it starve? I don't, I don't think it changes my analogy that much. If you're, if you're building an analogy where she's basically being held in a cell by the rapist. Well, maybe she was just, maybe she was just raped and then, and then she lives out in the country and then, you know, the storm came and she was. Just yeah, we're dropping this. I, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. So we're. The audience approves. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't know how. All I can say is Nick made his points. I made my points. People are going to have to look at that and, you know, make some decisions on it. So. Well, let's, and this idea that her part of her body is meant for this thing that she didn't yeah. consent to have in there is really offensive. It's so very offensive. What do you mean meant for? Yeah. It's it's your without her consent it's yeah. not meant for anything except for her. Yeah. It's like saying you're additional brawn as the general, you know, male. Um 
is meant to protect that child no matter what from whatever danger that you should put your life on the line and you know stand in the way of any kind of harm and i mean it's it, it's just a ridiculous thing anyway the, the whole i think it does though demonstrate the difficulty that some people have when it comes to trying to ask them to understand consent for people with a uterus yeah there are some people who just do not understand we are so used to discounting the consent of, you know, the, the group that we generally broadly describe as women. Um, and, and I think it is a social thing to sort of look at them as women and discount them as women. But I do understand, and I just want to be clear, it's like I get that, you know, a lot of people, there are people with a uterus who are not women, and I'm okay with that. But they are, um, when you're looked at as a woman in, in, this, in a social sense, you're immediately downgraded. And there's this idea that your consent is irrelevant and it's just confusing. I mean, the caller was confused about why would it matter whether she consented or not? Like, like how is that even relevant? If you're going to use her body, why is her consent necessary? Yeah. Holy cow. Holy cow. Why not just force women into brothels in that case? Like, just, just make us sex slaves and say, I don't understand why her consent should be needed. Her, her you know, vagina is made for a penis, right? So right. let's just, put, you know, put them all into whorehouses, lock them down, and who cares if they don't consent? This is what they're for. I mean, it's that offensive. It's basically saying her consent doesn't matter. It's not important. <laughs> right. This What's the difference? Is the difference is important. consent. All right. So that's my rant. Um, so let's look. It doesn't have much to do with atheism either. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird, but this is, you know, whatever. <laughs> so let's take, uh, let's go to Daniel in San Francisco. You want to argue about the existence of God. You believe the Bible should be read a certain way. Oh, hello. Hey, you're on with John and Tracy. Yeah, okay. Hi, Dan. Uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous. So if I like, you know, twist up my words or whatever, I'm really sorry. You can just ask well, for We'll try uh, to be forgiven. No worries. Yeah. So, so I have um like an uh let's just say um for the Bible itself of how to interpret it. When you go to um the New Testament, right? Um, you should be um I guess how this is how I was taught. I guess is that you need to um look at everything else in the Old Testament as kind of like um getting ready for Jesus's um return to pretty much. Stop all the sins that's happened in the past, like um, all all the testaments, like the genocide, the killing, the rape. I guess you could call it, and other stuff like that. I'm out of my element when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> uh, because because um, there's been a lot of uh, people argue that the Bible doesn't really have like morals in it, or the morals are kind of contradictory. I guess, where there's a lot of genocide in the Old Testament and stuff like that. And I'm just trying to say that. You could look at through Jesus' perspective, I guess, like through um, the lens of Jesus, I guess, and how his teachings are there to pretty much um, negate, I it guess, the Jewish teaching. But I thought that Jesus, well, Jesus was supportive of the law, though, right? He lived a perfect life according to the law, and that was how he was able to act as a sacrifice. Isn't that correct? Not a jot or tittle of the old law, whatever that quote is. I mean, he, he thought the law was perfect, and his job was to live a perfect life under the law so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. Wasn't that the plan? Mm, I, I guess, but, I, but I'm trying to uh, – man, I'm sorry. I'm just – yeah. That's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm just really nervous. <laughs> it's, not, it's 
not something I really talk about a lot since I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of, you know. I th- I okay, but you, let me just make sure. Are we on the same page as far as the idea was that man could not live a perfect life under the law, that man, it was the, it was the, it was a flaw in men that they were imperfect. And so therefore they could not live yeah. up to the law. That's why they had to keep making sacrifices. So then Jesus was, was produced and he comes out and then he lives a perfect life under the perfect law. And now he can be the perfect sacrifice so that animal sacrifices are no longer required. Are we on the same page? Yeah, we're on the same page. Okay. So then I guess my question is that Jesus was basically making a statement. There's no problem with the law. The law is perfect. And we, and if we were capable, the solution would be everyone to live a perfect life under the Old Testament law, right? Okay. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, I mean, does that make yeah. sense? Do you think that's... Yeah, that makes, okay. that makes sense. All right. Um, and then I also, also have a question about hell itself, you know, and it's, um, it's statements within the Bible, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, there's never been any mention of hell in um, the Bible. So it's always um, a reference to God's punishment, which... Um, it seems that God's punishment is a total separation from, from I guess, from from me, God, from me, from God, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. and that is not it's not just us going to like right. hell or whatever. But it's you know, but like, it's uh, not like a happy burning. it's not a happy thing, right? I mean, it's going to be yeah. pretty horrible, and it's going to be forever, right? Yeah, it's just not going to be flames. Right. Okay. But, but, it's <laughs> not, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that's not God trying to um, tell us trying trying to like cut us from it. We're cutting ourselves from okay. it. Yeah. But here's we're, the, we're sin because we live in sin and you know, we were born in sin and we just, um, how do I say this? Um, okay. But wait, here's a question. Um, temptations on our own will. Here's a question for you. So Daniel, if, um, if I am the, the, the entity, I'm going to create a universe, right? Let's say I'm a God. I'm going to create a universe and mm-hmm. I, I know everything. I am all powerful. And I'm loving, right? And I look okay. at all the universes that I could create, and I see this one where I'm going to send Daniel, like, by virtue of starting the universe in this particular way, I foresee that Daniel from San Francisco will, will end up in hell, whether it be flames or separation or whatever. I know that's going to happen before I create the universe, right? Because I know everything. I don't, I don't, I don't think... When he's omnipotent, I don't think it means that he knows. I don't know how to explain. It's not that he knows what's going to happen, like in the future. It's more like he's he just exists, right? So he's just. I don't know how to explain it. It's like. Okay, so you're just you're saying he's not you, in your version of God. You don't accept that sort of future vision as part of a, of what yeah. you're calling his knowledge. No, it's just that he's like there, like right. he's just there, you know. Okay. And so then, he didn't know what would happen when he produced the universe. Yeah, he just he produces it, but and he had the moral suit that he gave to us, right? Okay. But but he's he's still all powerful, but he doesn't know what's he's omnipotent in the fact. I don't explain. It's like it's okay. Uh, no, it's all right. I, I get you. <laughs> it's okay. I get you. My next thought would be, um, does he have any power over who is separated from him and who's not separated from him? Um, no. Um, okay, so he's not. He's you know, not because we we ourselves at the beginning we supposedly um, started with Adam and Eve when they ate from the tree of knowledge. They pretty much poisoned their own souls and was banished from from 
from whatever um, beautiful world that was there, heaven, pretty much. I'll just say real simply heaven. Okay. Because of. Um, Didn't he make that decision, though, to banish them? Um, what was, was my train of thought? I'm sorry. That's all right. No, John actually had a quick question for you. Didn't, didn't they? Didn't oh, okay. didn't God make that decision to banish them though? For doing that, because they didn't banish themselves. <laughs> well, I mean, He did banish us, but then after that, it was just our choices whether or not we wanted to become a part with Him again and. You know, whatever wherever he is, which is supposedly an all good, great a, place. Okay, so if I if you if you go out tonight and and you go to a movie and on your way back to your car, someone comes up to you and they put a gun to your head and they say, "Give me your wallet," and you refuse and they shoot you. Did you shoot yourself? No. But you knew if you didn't hand over your wallet, this guy was going to shoot you. Yeah. So if he shoots you. Did you make the decision to be shot? Like, did you no. shoot yourself? No. Okay, so how is God different? Oh, oh that's... Okay, okay. I, I get, I, can I try to explain kind of what you're saying just to, for me to understand myself? Is that okay? So you're trying to say that, um, I guess, God... Holy cow. I'm trying to figure out how to... How to... So I'm just a little confused. Are you okay if you explain that? Yeah. And in fact, Daniel, if you want, you're welcome to just sort of go and think on this some more and maybe call back a little bit later after you collect your thoughts. I mean, if these are ideas that you're not used to and that you haven't heard or thought about before, I totally can understand you saying, you know what, I'd like to take some time and maybe consider some of this and see what I think about it and then call back. I think that's maybe more yeah. fair to you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I actually just have one. It's, this one's like not about like morals and stuff. It's more on how God existed, I guess. And after that, I'm probably just going to hang up and just, you know, maybe call back later or maybe next week when I collected my thoughts. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Okay, so then my last, um, I guess my last statement is about how, how to, I guess a logical way to think uh, how God existed pretty much. Hello. Right. So it's um it's it's uh I think the basis of it is the cosmological argument, if I'm correct, where where we we exist, right? And something else must have caused us to exist, right? And following this logic, something must have caught like something um like an um I guess something must have caused us to exist all the way back to the beginning of time. And in order for I guess us to exist, there must have been an uncaused cause. That was just there in the beginning of the universe, something eternal in order for us to have existed. So something must have been there in order for us to exist. And by, I guess, a logical... Um, so, wait a minute, because right now it sounds like what you're saying is that everything needs a cause and that the way to get out of this is just to, to say that there's something that exists and it doesn't need a cause. Yeah. Okay, so because, things don't because, need causes. Isn't that special yeah. pleading? <laughs> Um, why can't we be the uncaused cause? Wait, say that again. Why can't why can't no, human... why can't the universe be the uncaused cause? Well, then, um, then what came before the universe? Then, right? I mean, there has to be something what? that must have created. Maybe it just has always existed in different forms. What came before God? Oh, okay. All right. Oh man. Okay. Because, ah, oh, man. All right. 
Okay, Daniel, yeah, I'm going to say, why don't you go? Why don't you go and think on some of this stuff? We're going to go ahead and get to some other calls, but I appreciate you calling in today. I got to. I'm sorry. I got to tell you something real quick. I'm, this is. These are actually arguments that I've had from um, from a really good friend slash teacher of mine. I'm actually, I'm actually not a theist. I'm actually an atheist. I'm really sorry. I just want to try to argue from his point of view to understand his argument. Hey, that's I've fair. Been really confused. All right. Well, really thanks, Daniel. Oh, no problem. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Daniel, for the call. And now we're going to move on. It looks like we got Jacob back, which makes me feel loads better. Yay. Um, Jacob in Arizona, are you the one I disconnected earlier? Yeah. I am. You, are you able so to hear me? sorry. You sound great. This, you're on yeah. with Tracy and John, and thanks, my Dave. apologies. Thanks for calling back. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're. Uh, I was able to call back in. Me I too. want to make a quick mention that if this were 20 years ago when I was a devout Christian calling into an atheist show, the power outage that cut my call here, I would have thought that was a sign from God that I needed to <laughs> Not turn away from and talking to an atheist. But <laughs> I now know it's just my crappy phone company uh, and their bad <laughs> phone line. <laughs> well, good. That's a that's a that's a step. So you're confused. Um, you believe in an entity, but nothing supernatural, and you don't have anyone to speak with locally. It just sounds like you're in a space where you're you're checking ideas. Yeah, and um, I'll. I, I know there's not a lot of time left in the show, so okay. I'll I'll be kind of brief. I've 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 had about um, a 45 to 50 year, more 50 or 55 year spiritual journey, and um, it started out in a home where we just accepted the belief in God and the Bible, although we didn't go to church. So from my youngest times, I just, everybody just believed in the Bible. Everyone I knew, this was, you know, back in the uh, early 60s, and I didn't even know the concept of an atheist, and then uh, as uh, atheism. And as when I became a teenager, I was searching. I was a, a hippie kid, so peace and love was very important. Jesus seemed to be part of that, and I became a, a born-again um, Christian, although I didn't actually have the experience that everyone else did in the revival where I became born again, but I kept that to myself. And I never, the, all of the... Um, all of the, you know, the singing and the hallelujah and the and the the elation never resonated with me. Okay. I was searching for something more rational, and um, so before I became an adult, I became a joiner to the Jehovah's Witness faith. Oh wow! And um, because of a, some literature they presented, seemed very rational, and I went to their church, and it was very calm and rational. And this was, of course, pre-internet days, and you could get no information about the group. And I remained as a very devout member of their group for probably almost uh, 30 years raising a family in there until until a um, horrible uh, situation in my life uh, led me to abandon that group. Um, uh, and even though I had a very bad experience within the group, including preparation for uh, suicide about halfway through my um, my tenure as as one of their members, I remained faithful and um, to the concept of God and the Bible. Well, since that, I'll kind of summarize up. Since that time, I've I've come to you know understand the the Bible for you know what it is, just simply 
myths and um, and through you know learning in history and evolution and things, I think I've come to a fairly um, uh, rational understanding of things, but there's still this thing that lingers in me that there might be or probably is a God, even though I don't believe that it's any sort of an anthropomorphic being that that has anything to do with with humanity uh, as far as you know what humans are doing. So I guess my question, I get to my question is, how how do I move forward? I, I think maybe this is a, a socialization or a cultural thing. How do I move forward and kind of get past that and and shake that um, and shake that belief? If if my question makes sense, I do you have something to say? Yeah, uh, I think it's just you're going through a process of figuring out what makes sense and discarding the stuff that doesn't. And I and I'm not uh, It's pretty common experience to, that you want to hang on to. Uh, a little bit of something as you go through that. And I think in time, as you examine things, uh, you may give that up as well. Uh, if, if it doesn't serve, serve you and what you're examining. So, uh, as, as far as process, I think just do more of what you've been doing the last, uh, I don't recall now how many years this process has Since been, you've been investigating five years, yeah. five years. Been, yeah. is when I've been trying to become educated about, about the world and theology and history and evolution and and that's what's really helped me. I yeah. I I was not I never had any higher education when I was younger and so I you know your basic high school education from the 60s and 70s doesn't really prepare you for any and, deep thinking. Sure, sure. And I would just say you know examine what it is that still makes you think that there's something out there in whatever form your current you currently understand it to be and just test that does that make sense what what would it mean yeah. what would it mean if there wasn't well that's i guess that's the part that i'm kind of drawn to is is the way you're describing let's just for now call it god right how you're describing this thing um because john is saying what makes you think that it's out there right like the, he's not asking but he's saying that might be something to examine what makes you think that it's out there and i'm looking at it like i don't even know what you think is out there Right, because what you've described is a thing without will or personality or any kind of discernment, any sort of personage, and it has absolutely nothing to do with human existence. And so, yeah, and that's and you you summarize that well because I don't believe there's an afterlife. I don't believe we have a spirit or a soul. I think that when we die, that's the end of things. Right, I, but, I, but I'm saying John is kind of asking the question, what makes you believe in this thing? And I'm asking the question, is it is it a thing? No, but yeah, is I'm it even saying, a thing? Is, it, is, is what you're describing a thing? Is it anything? Because what it sounds like is you're describing nothing. What is the difference between a universe that includes a non-personal thing that has no effect on anything and a universe with no God. Okay, that's a really good way to that's a, that's a good way to think about it. That's is this thing that you just described anything? Because it sounds to me like the same as as a no thing, as as a non-existent thing. Is anything explained by by the existence of this thing that that can't be explained otherwise? <laughs> now we sound like that non-stamp collector thing. Is the <laughs> thing that caused the other things that didn't. Yeah, I I uh I just I don't even know that what you're describing would would 
be ex- exist in in some way existing like that it would be in a description of an existent item kind of like what what is it that would make that th- even a thing or a thing that you would call god right yeah because it's almost like saying i think that there is i still think there's a god but i think it's sort of invisible and it doesn't really have any kind of thoughts or personality and it has no manifestations and it really doesn't take up space and it's not necessarily bound by time and it's not, and at a certain point it's like does it have any attributes that would make it quantifiable that would make it be part of the category of existent because if not i think you're already at a point where it doesn't exist in your head that you know the way you just put that is is very helpful because if if something is a thing, it has to have attributes. Right, and you're describing yeah. non-attributes. You're saying it's not right. this, it's not yeah, no, this, exactly. it's not this. And if it, if it's if it's not everything, and it's and there isn't anything that it is, right? I mean, isn't that what existence quote is? Is that you are in some way, and you're describing a thing that's not in many ways, but you haven't said what why it is, or what it is, or how it is. It's almost like um, it, it the, the way you're putting that is very helpful. It's almost like, well, there are mysteries <laughs> to us about our universe. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there are mysteries or things that are unknown doesn't necessarily give a rationale that there is something specifically identifiable out there. Right. Yeah. Well, that's actually that's actually very helpful. I. I have um, a, a lot of uh, friends that are every all of my friends are all spiritual. They are not most of them aren't Christian, and this is a very difficult um, topic to to talk about. It's uh, something that um, I haven't ever had a chance to bounce an idea off someone. So I really appreciate you um, listening to my um, my question and and. Uh, and you've actually been very helpful. I do appreciate that. Oh, great. Well, thank you for your call, Jacob. Okay, thanks. Okay, Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was productive. We've got a few productive ones today. Yeah. So let's see who is up. Let's go ahead and why not? Let's take um, Jason in Canton, Georgia. Hey, Jason. You're on with Tracy and John. Hi, guys. Um, hey. Pardon me if I'm just a little bit starstruck. Uh I really appreciate all you guys have done. Um, And I have a question actually about abortion. I am an atheist, um, but I wanted to give maybe just 30, 40 seconds of background if I can. Sure. Kind of give an idea of where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, I was pretty hardcore fundamentalist. I, uh, from about the age of 11, was really in deep. And by 16, I had preached a couple sermons at a couple church church congregations in our local group and was the worship leader. And um, I was really in deep. And um, eventually I uh, got a little more distanced from church with the stuff going on in my life. And about a year ago, I was watching, I know I was, I was taught Bill Nye was this evil guy because he believed in evolution and everything. So I was watching the, for whatever reason, I can't remember why I, happened to stumble over this video, but the video where Bill Nye was walking through the um, ARC encounter with, uh, uh, can't remember his name right now. That's okay. But the guy with the ARC. Kent um, Hovind. Hovind? Not Kent Hovind. Ken Ham? Oh, Ham. Ham. Ken Ham. Ken Ham. That's it. Okay. Yes, it's Ken Ham. 
And that was the video I was watching when I said, oh, my God, I think I'm an atheist. And I remember walking in, talking to my wife in the kitchen, saying, oh, my God, I think I'm an atheist. And she's like, what? And thankfully, everything has um, been overall pretty positive. But I will say I am suffering some PTSD and some trouble from my religious upbringing. You know, the thought of heaven being this wonderful experience. And I realize that when, well, I was 36 at the time last year and realized now this is all I have for sure I can count on. So. Uh, it's kind of been a struggle, and overall, it's been great. And I just wanted to also express appreciation, Tracy, for you because one of the things you said really made a lot a lot of things easier for me when I was struggling with giving up my belief. And that was when you were talking about how people, uh, if God knew that um, all the parameters and who would go to heaven and hell, kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, you know, he knows what would happen. And that just kind of blew my mind when I heard that. And I said, oh, my God, yes, I definitely am an atheist now. Yeah, it's a tough, it just, tough just point. It's a tough point for people yeah. to get. It's, it's, it's a real sticking point for Christians. And I think a big part of that is that where they're, <sighs> yeah. they hear so often the counter-apologetic to it, that when they hear that rebuttal, all they hear is that counter-apologetic they've been taught. And they don't really hear what you're saying. So it takes a long time, mm-hmm. if at all, that you can get a person to hear what you're actually describing when it comes to that. Sorry, that was just an yeah. aside. So I appreciate that very much. And you and all of you guys, John, you've been awesome. Everybody there, I appreciate because you guys are making a real difference to people like me who are struggling hard in this journey from okay. theism to atheism. Thank you. And I really appreciate what you're doing. You're making a huge difference. Okay. My struggle right now is with abortion because, um, like, I have some very heavily religious people in my family and people that are very, very anti-abortion. I mean, to the point of being, you know, activist about it. Sure. And it's, uh, this is a challenging area for me because I used to be very pro-life or, you know, you know, anti-abortion and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand that this is, this is probably a lot, a struggle for a lot of uh, ex-Christians or, or people that have come into, um, I don't think it's probably so much for Islam because of the whole belief with the soul and everything. But but uh, for me, it's been challenging because in the Christian faith, we were looking at everybody as having this mystical or magical kind of soul, kind of intrinsic value. Sure, sure. That, that, you know, if you... And I'm struggling because um, I don't know how to communicate my beliefs to other people well, because when it comes to the – I'm having a hard time because um, I, I after becoming an atheist, I'm kind of seeing now that we are not ha- – we don't have this magical intrinsic value. It's more of the value we put on it. Sure. And – that's really challenging to explain to people. And I've listened to like episodes and I've binge watched atheist experience like crazy lately in the past year, but I've watched many episodes like, for example, where Matt and Jim were talking to people about abortion. And it, when Matt says, and I respect Matt to death, I mean, he's helped me a lot with his stuff. But one of the things I struggle with is when he says, 
you know, the abortion is the termination of the pregnancy, and he keeps repeating it's the termination of the pregnancy. I get what he's saying, but it feels kind of like it's a dodge on what the person's actually dealing with, with this intrinsic value of life. I hope that this question makes sense. Um, I think I hear what you're saying, and I'd like to offer something. And if it's not, if I've misunderstood you, you feel free to correct me. But um, I actually think that it's a dodge when people say that it's not about a termination of a pregnancy, right? Because it is. If we could terminate that pregnancy and the ch- and without killing the child and we decided to do that as a society, I don't think anybody would have a problem with it. So, for example, uh, you know, the, 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 the person with the uterus is just saying, I, I don't want this pregnancy. I don't want this. And if they can abort the pregnancy and then sign over adoption rights to someone else, I'm pretty sure they would be totally willing to do so. I mean, I can't really speak for everyone, but the whole con- the, the reason that a woman is going and having an abortion is she's ending this pregnancy. What happens to – I don't think that she goes in and says, ah, today I get to kill a baby. And this needs, right? this She's needs saying, to I die don't, I don't no want, matter what. I don't yeah. want the child. I don't want the pregnancy. I don't want it. She just simply does not want this in her life for whatever reason. Or, you know, I th- and I'm assuming here that we're, we're not talking about people that, of course, are um, having the procedure because of problems with the fetus and, you know, whatnot. You're talking about people that do this as, a, as an option, right? I mean, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. And – I think the thing about it is, is that having come from such a hardcore pro-life view before that I've had for decades, it's like um, I, I see the struggle because people see the uh, the life of the, uh, I see the struggle. I don't know how to even say what I'm saying. <laughs> right. But I, Again, what, I'm a little... what I'm saying, though, is that the locust should be honest. And the locust for most of these women who are making this option is I don't want to proceed with this pregnancy. I do not want to be a parent. I, either I can't afford it. I can't deal with it. I, I can't have this happening to my body. I don't you know, this isn't something that I, I'm oh, going to consent to. I, I, I think that if I think that the thing is, is this mystical, magical value, intrinsic value to life that people put. I right. Okay. That, but here's the thing. All these, like the all these people, thing. just like if, I don't know if you heard the conversation earlier, but all of these people that are saying, oh, every life is sacred and you should have to donate your body to the, you know, to bring somebody else to viability and you should not have any choice in that matter and your consent should not matter. And then the moment that child is born and you ask them then if it needed a, a pint of blood from the biological father, should we, should they be compelled to donate? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, we can't do that. But she can put her life health at risk, do nine months of, you know, have her body, uh, a human being literally growing in her body for nine months that she has not consented to. And, I, and, and, I, they, I and they're saying that's, that. yeah, and they're saying that uh, this is perfectly fine. No, but what I'm pointing out is what happens to the intrinsic value, that magical value of that child, the moment that it's born that makes it now no longer um, something that should be able to command that kind of control of of its of of the biological parents. I well, I could tell you only what I would have said as a pro life person before. Okay, I would have that's said fair. That is because 
I would have said it's because the per, the baby didn't choose that's what they were going to do. Or, or and I say baby liberally. What I does that have to do with compelling the person. compelling the biological father to donate blood or tissue? Let's say tissue because that you need better matches for tissue in some cases. What they're saying I mean, is the really the no difference and. And I totally understand your point. Right. I get it. So I, if the I, child I, is I, just as valuable the minute after it's born, why do the people that are pro-life not say that biological parents should be compelled to donate whatever parts or, or you know, uh, of blood or tissue that is required to make sure that that child remains viable? Why are they not pushing for that? Why does why does the child's welfare and and capacity to live based on infringing on the bodies of others suddenly stop the moment the child is born if if it's about the inherent value of the child has it become less valuable because it was born now yeah and and honestly that call that you had earlier it kind of made a lot of sense to me (laughs) and i think that did help the idea that using the woman's body is something that is uh, a, maybe an unnecessary or unwarranted demand on her. Um, They're saying that body, bodily I, autonomy doesn't matter, uh, isn't important for the pregnant woman, but it is for everybody else. Right. Only people with a uterus should not have bodily autonomy. Everyone else gets full bodily autonomy, can deny their children blood tissue in, in the you know in every way. Um, even if it costs the child their life, even if the child is born due to a defect that the parents knew was highly likely based on genetic screening of the parents. I mean, you can put all kinds of layers on this to say, you know, and it doesn't matter. It's like I could know that there's like a super high likelihood that I will have a child and that will be birthed non-viable that will require blood and tissue and still I won't be required to donate it. That child can die and Mm -hmm. it's just considered an unfortunate act of nature. Okay. I I think I see what... uh, We talk a lot about this on Godless Bitches or what is now GB 2.0, the reboot. So if you want to look up that podcast, it has a lot of conversation about this. So if you're just looking to hear perspectives and something that may or may not resonate with you or something you may object to, I'm not telling you what to think about it, but it's definitely a a show that talks about it more often. I I got you. Um, and, and I guess this is the last question, and, and this is kind of my way of summing it up, I guess, in, in when I'm trying to wrestle through these issues. Um, do you think that then the core issue is whether or not the, you know, for, for the lack of a better term, the fetus has rights to life or not, basically? I mean, is that really what the core of the debate is? Because that's what it seems like to me. I think, I, I think the core is does the does does the fetus have the right to use somebody else's body without their consent? Right, in ways that no other human being can can you know avail themselves of. Gotcha. Okay. Because I don't think that even I mean I if a person I mean would you say that if a fetus has a right to life that I should have a similar right to life as a person who's not a fetus? Well. 
for me, it's the struggle of does someone choose to be there demanding? Right, but I didn't choose to, to be here. Body. I didn't choose to be here, and I didn't choose to maybe have like a, a problem with a particular body part that maybe I inherited from my mom in a genetic capacity. I didn't choose that. So if I need her to give me a, a blood or tissue donation, and she create, you know, she created me like from a biological act, and then she actually chose to keep me, chose to raise me, chose to be parentally obligated to me, right? She make, she consented to all of that. And yet if I need blood or tissue from her or I'm going to die, I, I can't force her to. I can't get the state to compel her to give it to me, can I? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and nobody has that. that does make sense. Nobody has that capacity. We None of us have that right. And, it, and none yeah, of us asked okay. to be here or asked to have medical problems that we have. You know what I mean? It's like, and again, when I say none of us, I mean, maybe some people have, I don't know. But, um, I, you know, I think in most cases you get sick and you're not intending to get sick. Uh, you have some kind of genetic disorder or you have some problem and, you know, you need help. You need a transfusion. You need something, you know, and sometimes close relatives are all you've got. But we don't compel it. We, it's still voluntary. It still requires consent. I think that um, I honestly think that the advice that both of you guys gave, uh, I think it's been helpful and I really appreciate it. Um, again, I, I almost feel moved to tears to, to tell you guys how much it's meant to me, everything you guys have done. And um, it's been so helpful in my life. Thank you. Right, well, we're glad if we're useful. Thanks very much. Um, appreciate your call. So thanks, Jason. And now we're moving on to Bruce. Who? Okay. Well, that was a gaffe that I just did. Apparently, we're signing off and the callers should hold. Hold on. We're going to do yeah. an after show. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks to the crew. Thanks for the audience. Thanks for John for coming Thank in you. and making, making the set look pretty. And uh, there we go. We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.